early to mid-1980s, a golden generation of French footballers formed a magical and much-loved team that reached the semi-finals of the 1982 and 1986 World Cups and won the 1984 European Championships on home soil. When that team came to the end of its cycle, the French suffered at international level, failing to qualify for the 1988 European Championships, the 1990 World Cup and the 1994 World Cup, as well as failing to progress from the group stage of the 1992 Euros. With the home World Cup only four years away, the pressure was on and change was needed. New manager Emma Jacquet made a bold call. Out went underperforming star players with egos in Eric Cantona, David Ginola and Jean-Pierre Papin. And in came a new generation of humble, technically gifted young players who formed the core of one of the great international sides in football history. One which drew on France's multicultural heritage as never before and one which seemed to represent a healing force in a famously fractious and divided society. We're talking, of course, about the uh, World Cup winning 1998 France side tonight. And one of those teams, I think, which had a really powerful sense of destiny about it um, in, in a way that, that very few teams have done. I mean, you might throw in, you know, England in 66 into that category, um, following off with Brazil in 1970. But just these these teams playing on home soil that just seem to gather that momentum and, um, and and roll all the way there in a you know kind of inevitable fashion, really. Um, so a great team, a team of our young adulthood or late teens uh, that, that I think all three of us are really, really fond of. So I've got uh, Maz and Pete here as usual. Um, let's let's start off with that kind of um, low point then and, and, and how this side started to come together, because you know, if we if we kind of start at Euro 96, that was our first glimpse, really, of Zidane, uh, Jokaev, uh, Dugarry, these sorts of players that, that would kind of fill the shoes of those, I guess, star players that didn't quite, for some reason or other, cut it international level. Um, you know, what are your memories of them at, at Euro 96? And did you have a sense at that time that they were going to go on? and kick it on a stage further i mean that that was the year of the buzz that's where the buzz started around them wasn't it really was, was around 96 because especially in england the buzz is always around you know the players that you know so Cantona obviously was you know without a doubt the best player in the, in, in the premier league for the first few years you know and the very thought of him whatever country he came from their their country not building around a player that good is mind-boggling you know it really is from 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 the outside perspective you know and obviously Ginola would come in uh what year did he did he join the Premier League Ginola it was 95-96 so this is you know we've just seen him rip up the league with Newcastle and that you know doomed attempt to win the league uh, it did seem bizarre didn't it from an English perspective that he couldn't yeah. get near the French team and you know I, I, I very much remember Ginola from um, uh, Arsenal's Cup Winners Cup run and, and coming up against PSG as well both Ginola and, and Cantona were absolutely immense talents but you know yeah, it was Euro 96 where you did start to see this so you know a lot of the buzz was around uh, Zidane Euro 96, I was taken more by Jorkaev in that tournament. But, you know, you could see they had two special players in those two from from an attacking standpoint. And they had already a solid base there. And seeing at that tournament, they could say they they were as unlucky as England, really, to not go all the way. They, they, They did look good. They did look good. But obviously was still a bit early for that all to come together in, in this this era, leaving the past behind. You know, obviously Jean-Pierre Papin was an absolute megastar as well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that Marseille team in 19, you know, 89, 90, 91, you know, great Marseille team, good French players in it. And, and really only Desailles, the, the one survivor from that team that, that, that plays for France all the way through this period. You know, as you say, Papin... Um, is discarded along with Ginolar and um, and Kanzanar at this point in time. So this is why I, you know, began the show with that kind of context because 
you know, France were a great, great team in the 1980s and probably a team that isn't spoke about enough. I mean, you know, unbelievably consistent that that run through from 82 through to 86 is is brilliant. And obviously most people would probably say very unlucky in 82, you know, having yeah, yeah having their keeper knocked out, <laughs> literally knocked out. And uh, you know, no, sorry, the keeper literally knocking out one of their players and not being sent off in the semi-final, you know. So yeah, that was I mean, a great yeah. team. Platini is a bit of a dirty word in football now, isn't he? But, um, you know, uh, an amazing player. And, you know, before this tournament, you know, I I think he would be viewed by many as France's greatest ever player, despite, you know, the Fontaines of this world and uh, and whoever, you know, coming out of this and... and the generation that was coming it'd be huge but Platini was was an amazing footballer and he had a excellent sporting casting guys like uh Tigana uh, and and a few others at that time um, so yeah it's your s yeah uh really really good really good team with some very very top-notch players it's interesting that you guys have come back in time because one of the things that stands out I guess is this is one of these topics where me being a couple of years younger than you would that makes a big difference because my first reaction to France at this point in time they all come around missing the 1994 World Cup because I'm not watching international football before 94 so yeah my first thing is hearing about you know this France team you know Cantona won't be there why won't he be there all that kind of narrative that goes on so really you know you're 96 is the first time you're seeing them and again like age comes back into it so much because when you're younger you just get swept up in in the England stuff and France didn't make a huge impact on me and even when you get to 1998 there's a sense of all right this is clearly a good team but you everybody seemed to be playing second fiddle to Brazil it was like okay who can get to the final and lose to Brazil and that's what what you were supposed to be playing for so the fact that they were kind of went on was actually kind of mind-blowing when you were young it was they would not only redefined what you thought you knew about you know various things to do on the pitch and they were playing in this really un-English system and you know teaching you so much and introducing all these new players to you but they were also breaking the rules about what was supposed to be possible in a game where you know for a country that hadn't made the World Cup four years earlier so there was a real kind of sea change in what I saw as a, you know, just coming up to being a teenager uh, about what I saw of, of French football. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, I think Pete hit the nail on the head there with, with Brazil. And, you know, this this Brazil was a rock star team. <laughs> no doubt about it in, in 1998. You know, we've all seen the adverts. We've seen Ronaldo, Roberto Carlos. They're rock stars. At this point, they're absolute rock stars. But, you know, I think if this World Cup wasn't in France, I think they would have passed under the radar quite a little bit more. You know, I think I think the home advantage has helped them. But, you know, when you look at them, you're looking at, you know, an England team with, you know, that class of 92 really starting to stamp its authority. You're looking at a Dutch team with that Ajax, you know, that super Ajax base here. So, you know, I don't think they're they're there yet. They're still, you know, reputation-wise, they're, they're quite under. Like I say, their defenders have built up a good reputation at this point. Uh, like you say, Neil Desai's been around for donkeys by this point, and Blanc is, uh, is getting a role, and, you know, Lizarazu and, and Turam are both two of the best defenders in the world. You know, but you've... You've got Zidane, who's probably, I think, between 96 and 98, his stock has, has risen into that one of the top players in the world. But the ones around him, I don't think they're superstars. And you look at that team on paper now, absolutely, they're megastars. You look at them, you're looking at the absolute greatest players to ever play the game. But at this point in time, going into the tournament, I don't think they're quite there yet. You know, certainly not reputation-wise. They're there potential wise, you know, but they're not they're not being talked about as players at the top of their game, which is probably good. They're just coming into their their prime now. And, you know, quite a lot of them won't for another couple of years as well. 
it's, it's worth in, just saying quickly that even if they did have massive reputations, no one had a reputation that compared to Ronaldo going into that tournament. I mean, he was just on another stratosphere. It's interesting, yeah, like obviously England's, you know, England had um, not qualified for 94 as well. And I think, you know, I, I see, you know, kind of, it's almost like a bit of a sliding doors thing here, really, in that England and France both had to do a lot of soul searching um, after 94. And both teams really went into that, that 98 World Cup, really thinking they had a, a pretty realistic chance of winning it, having bedded in these young players. You know, I mean, England had obviously bedded in Owen and, uh, and Skulls um, and Beckham. Um, and then, you know, France had Zidane and Jokaev and, and Dugarry. Um, you know, obviously, they, as, as Maz mentioned, the defence was rock solid. So, you know... I, Interestingly enough, right, you know, I was um, trying to taking an A-level in French uh, in 1998. And so we had to do like a special project. And so I, I went and did like a deep research reading, you know, um, reading L'Equipe, uh, you know, back issues of L'Equipe, um, which I had to order from some sort of like, I don't know, specialist website or something. Um, and so I, I, I kind of knew a lot about this team as it was kind of forming. And obviously, right, they went out in the semi-finals in Euro 96, as we were talking about. Very unlucky, went out in pens to Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic, rather. Um, you know, and they uh, were top, they topped their group in Euro 96. Um, you know, they they came through the Netherlands on penalties. And as Maz said, that was a very good Dutch team, albeit one that England had beaten 4-1 earlier in the tournament. Um, and then, you know, they came unstuck against the, uh, against the Czechs. But, it, you know... There was already a sense, I, th- I mean, from from what I remember in the media, and I, I'm not the biggest fan of just declaring Brazil the favourites for every World Cup that comes around, just because they're Brazil. And I, I did have a powerful sense about this French team at the time that they were going to do very, very well, and that home advantage would be pretty huge for them, and that all they needed was um, kind of wind in their sails, and they were quite likely to go quite far. But I was doing a bit of research earlier on and what's really interesting is in 97 there's a bit of a sort of crisis of faith and at the tournoi um of course which which funny enough um, England win which is the warm-up tournament which I guess now is the Confederations Cup or what have you um there was a lot of booing of the team and calls for Jacquet to resign because it was deemed to be too defensive and don't you always see this in football you know that the, the very quality that's going to take a team far in a tournament is something that fans have misgivings about because it isn't, you know, as free flowing and entertaining as, as you might like it to be. And, and I suddenly struck by that, you know, comparison to England's run to the, to the final of, um, of Euro 2020 or 21, whichever way you want to put it last year. And that it was built on a rock solid base. You know, you had Deschamps, mopping everything up in midfield and and obviously you know they were fortunate in that Vieira suddenly turned into this superhuman footballer in the very year that this World Cup was going to be played you know and that yeah you had Petit as well coming off that that hot year with with Arsenal um they had that you know that back four you know Chiram one of the very best defenders I think I've ever seen play the game Lizarazu you know kind of um unbelievable unbelievable player going forward but you know rock side at the back as well they had that base and then they had the attacking midfield players to play the key pass because they had you know Jorkaf and um, Zidane as these sort of twin tens and then you had a kind of a bit of a water carrier up front you know whether it was whether it's Dugarry who was a very good player but very much in the Giroud mould of someone that made space for other people rather than being a prolific goal scorer or whether it's Givash you know like they, they weren't going to score a lot of goals necessarily, but they were going to shut teams out. And if they got a chance, then they were going to take it. And they became very, very efficient through that tournament. And I think that's why they went so far. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's one of those things. So, you know, you, you've got to... Um, a, little, a little bit of personal, you know, this is my favourite tournament of all time. Without a doubt, hands down, um, circumstances are a big part in that. Uh, Neil and myself were both coming off finishing finishing A levels this summer. One of those nice long summers that you get, and it was just all about football that summer. 
watching it, playing it. I'd had a season with Arsenal as a season ticket holder where I've gone home and away, more matches than I've been to any time in my life. Just f- football was everything at this point. And, you know, having watched that amazing Arsenal team, and, you know, I was very much, you know, I t- turned 100% now and I'm the other way around. But, you know, back in those days, I was always club over country. So I was very much following the French, very much following the um, the Dutch, uh, as much as I was following the English uh, in the World Cup that year. You know, because our, our players were all over it, you know, with that midfield. And it's so strange. We we suddenly had this this midfield partnership at Arsenal of Petit and Vieira, which was as good as a- anything I've seen since as well. You know, anything I'd seen before, anything I've seen since. Give me that duo over any duo ever, you know because they were just fantastic and, and complimented each other so much. I, I won't wax too lyrical about that because, you know, uh, I've done so before on on, on the Arsenal 98 uh, episode. However, it was mad to me that, that you wouldn't just play those two. But again, Vieira, as strong as he was, w- wasn't getting a lot of first-team football for France. You know, even during the tournament, you know, he, he was essentially that backup midfielder to... Alain Bogosia a lot of the time, which is uh, quite something. But, you know, when you're building something and you've got a youngster coming in, you know, you do stick with the players that, that you have more confidence in. You know, it, it's kind of like the whole uh, the whole thing that I guess England are going to be thinking about at the moment with with, um, with old Slabhead and, and, and Pickford, <laughs> you know, not, not not having great seasons by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, not having set a foot wrong for their country. Well, Deschamps was the captain, wasn't he? So he was always going to play. Deschamps was always going to play. And, you know, was a a very underrated footballer for Juve and for France through that whole period. I know famously Cantona, you know, having been abandoned by (laughs) France, declared him a water carrier, um, which wasn't wrong necessarily, but teams need water carriers. And so Petit came in, after that great season at Arsenal and, and he took that second centre mid spot and then obviously as you say Vieira ended up being a you know an impact player off the bench. Um yeah was Karen Burrow really got the Karen kind Burr of, as well yeah the, the third shirt on the other side of the business end. I think Bogassian played a little bit more in the groups. Uh but Caribou was was doing great stuff on Syria through through really much the whole nineteen nineties and he could do whatever job they, they needed him to do basically. So he ended up playing a really weird role to English eyes in, in this tournament because they were all quite defensive. Uh, you know, Petit was probably the most forward-looking of the three. Karen Burr was kind of a holding player come right wing back, weird roles, kind of slotted in wherever Turan went forward. It was it looked odd if when you're used to 4-4-2. And, and they you know, did you see, mix it up quite a lot as yeah. well because, because you yeah. had a lot of the time Henri was playing off the right and Jorkaev off the left, you know, it was a kind of proto 4-2-3-1, if you like, with Deschamps and Petit sitting. Um, I think they probably lined it up as a 4-5-1 at a time, but I guess in modern terms, it'd be a 4-2-3-1. So they, and then you know, at like, times you see them line up as a kind of 4-3-1-2. I mean, it it was horses for courses at the risk of yeah, boiling it down to they, a kind they of They were cliche. quite fluid. You know, they could play very central. You know, they obviously had a lot more, a, a lot more, good central players that the wide players and you know if it fit it, it was perfect for you know especially Lizarazu loved to bomb forward and I guess what what you could say with with Karimba in that role is he could essentially revert to a wingback role with Turan tucking in you know it, it almost became a free at the back if you looked at it that way so you know there was some there was a lot of fluidity about it you know and, and with the team yeah, with Petit in the team, yeah, I know he said he's he's the most attacking, but you know it, it's he's one of those players that when here in his absolute prime. I mean, bear in mind Petit three years before was a left back playing for Monaco, who no one really heard of, you know. So he essentially come out of nowhere and wasn't a young player or anything like that, you know. That's you know, uh, Vieira and Petit are well, and Henri will were were Wenger's greatest you know moments as players you know 
seeing that potential in Vieira and converting Henri and converting Petit to, to the position changes to make them essentially the best in the world at their position at, at, at some point of time. Petit was so good at, at, at sitting, he could allow defenders to do anything. I just remember even Tony Adams saying, when Petit's in the team, you can do whatever you want. He'll be there to cover. I think that just kind of reinforces what Neil was saying a moment ago, you know, because when Petit is the most forward-looking of that three a lot of the time, and, you know, he is a converted left-back, to use his kind of summary there, that shows you just how stable they were, how much they were set up first and foremost to have a platform. You know, there was no going to be no equivalent of David Ginola giving the ball away to, you know, cost them an important game here. This was essentially the idea of, OK, we are going to be tough to beat. We're going to we've got this great defence. We're going to have these great kind of platform base in front of them. And we're going to trust our creative players to go out and win the game. And, you know, other than the fact they needed a penalty shooter once, they, they did it with a plum this tournament. Well, it's, it's interesting because they had, a, you know, another thing about this shifting lineup they had is that they had a lot of um, issues with injuries and suspensions, kind of as we'll see. But, you know, let's kind of talk about a little their pathway really through the tournament um so they get drawn into uh group uh c as obviously as hosts um it's a kind group you'd have to say um a good denmark team that ends up um really giving brazil a game actually in the uh, the knockout stages but nevertheless a team that you'd expect france to to, to be um south africa I believe might even have been south africa's first world cup that and um and saudi arabia um, so France get up and running on the 12th of June 98 with a 3-0 uh, win. Dugarry and two own goals. <laughs> this is like uh, pretty, pretty hilarious. I, I'm claiming it for Henri. I'm always claiming it for Henri. <laughs> yeah, there was one from Henri. Yeah, so they were both turned in by defence on the line, which is same. Well, same it was the same, same guy, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a... <laughs> Poor lad. He um, had a bad day. So, you know, the idea that France was going to struggle to score goals seemed a bit, seemed faintly ridiculous at that point, because then when we thumped Saudi Arabia 4-0 with uh, two from Henri, uh, one from Trezeguet off the bench. Trezeguet, a young boy at this time. Um, I think he's just gone to Juventus, but very much Trezeguet. It was between Trezeguet and Anelka to get that final place on the plane, and it ends up going to Trezeguet, which again, I suppose, to English eyes, you know, was a bit like, oh, but Anelka's just won after the title. But probably Anelka's that run of an Elkers in that second half of the season might have just come a little bit too late for him. Um, and he was mental. Um, <laughs> might have destabilised the group, might he? Um, uh, given that yeah, they won the of, World Cup and the Euros, that, given the fact they won the World Cup and Euros back to back, I think it's fair to say Trezeguet did all right. <laughs> Their right he call did. was made. He was. And uh, well, Elkers did, did play a bit in Euro 2000, just just not in this one. But the, the Liz Rizou obviously scores the, uh, scores the fourth. So a fairly emphatic win, except... Oh dear, their uh, their catalyst, Zinazine Zidane, gets very foolishly sent off in what would become a bit of an unfortunate pattern for Zidane in World Cups, really. Zidane being petulant at a World Cup. Mm. <laughs> Did he stamp on it? Yeah, it was he horrible, gave him a, a Saudi Arabia player when you're absolutely battering. They're like, like oh, were they three 0 up at the time? <laughs> it is absolutely bonkers that he did that. Um, so. I think he misses. Does he miss two games for that? I think he does. He misses the knockout. He misses the. He misses the first knockouts. Yeah, game. the Denmark yeah. game and the first knockout game. So, rather silly of of Zinedine to do that. Um, so but then Perez um, who came in for him. It was. It was, and that's that's the first time I guess English people have seen have seen Robert Perez because um, he doesn't go to Arsenal to two thousand, does he? So. No, I mean, I do remember. He look, he looks like a kid as well, you know. I mean, and you know, just to touch on this very slightly, and you know, the ne- the next match, they're already through, so it's the type of game against Denmark where they were always going to play a few players, uh, you know, play a few of those young players, but you know, they played Frank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they play, uh, play a few young DMS players. Well. Really Christ, old player. awful. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but it, it's it's here where you start to see, you know. Vieira, Perez, Trezeguet, Henri. I mean, Henri got injured, didn't he? He, he? he took a bit of a knock, I believe, in in the second game. 
he's on the bench this third game. He does come on, but but yeah, he starts on the bench. Yeah, or or, or something. But you know, he's 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 not guaranteed starter at this point, even though he's he's started a couple of times. He's not he's not yet the Thierry Henry that we'd come to know and love. He's more of a winger at this point, and you know, again, very young. What a year older than Trezeguet? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, he's still a young player. So, you know, I, I know a lot of the thing is, you know, you think of, you look now and you think, well, you've got Henri, you've got, you've got Henri and Trezeguet in the squad. You've got an Elka who's not made it and you spend the whole tournament having to play Keefash because Degree got injured. But, you know, but those players were all very young and exciting as they were, none of them were, were anywhere near the project no. at, at that point. So, you know, it, it's, there was a there was a case of better. I mean, yeah, Givash was rubbish. <laughs> I think there's, there's, rubbish. there's just that there's, there's that case. Sugary was was a really good player. Duggery yeah. was, uh, you know, I guess Givash was the like for like for Duggery, whereas you know Trezeguet and Henri and 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 Elka weren't that, were they? So yeah, Givash had scored about a million goals in that that season because he had basically come from nowhere. I think really, he'd scored a load of goals in that ninety seven ninety eight season in the French league and he'd and he'd obviously gone into that tournament in great form and then kind of you know promptly promptly stopped scoring. He did put himself about and I do think him and Dugarry the way they played suited Zidane and Jorkaev in particular. Um, and also if you look at like knockout stages, how many goals get scored by rampaging defenders coming from deep? You know, yeah, the spaces that get opened up are you know are pretty significant for that. So they go to the knockout stages. They get a kind draw again. They get Paraguay. Um, oh, I'd it, argue that Paraguay were an amazing team. Love them. Hips the choice for me there. <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes a very traumatic game, doesn't it? And I was watching this one earlier on, um, and you forget kind of how nervy this game got. And gosh, it's so easy to forget these days of golden goal, isn't it? Um, it goes to think about it now. Yeah, to golden goal extra time. And who is it that pops up? But Laurent Blanc. It's a great goal as well. Yeah, it's proper yeah. head to that, isn't it? I mean, just just to let let me get me uh, get me love for Paraguay out uh, a little bit here. You know, they, they were one of the teams that I really really liked going into this tournament. I was really looking forward to watching, and you know, just you know, not a hugely exciting typical South American team. They, but they had one hell of a goalkeeper and two absolutely beastly centre-halves. And, you know, they, they kept France at bay for 112 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, and, um, they, and they really struggled to create France in that game. And that, they did miss Zidane badly in that game, I remember. You know, they did. it did feel like at a certain point it was very much headless chickens and big leadership moment from Blanc to... Uh, you know, to step up and score there. I think this is also the game that begins the tradition of kissing um, Bartes' bald head. <laughs> I'm just thinking, looking at it, because they never start them again. I think Henri only comes on when Karenberg gets injured after this. Uh, do you think that there was a sense they realised, OK, Trezeguet and Henri are good young players, but they're young players. We don't need them here. This is where we need Guibash to put himself about and like just batter defenders and play back heels for the likes of to your KF and Zidane and you know we need older more experienced and maybe nastier heads to actually win this yeah I think this game kind of you know this is the game where you would have wanted a, a, a degree or a Givash a, a lot more because you know Ayala and Gamara were just like I say two fantastic centre-halves and you know not not new school centre-halves proper old school boot you up into the air centre-halves <laughs> you know proper football um and yeah you know you're a lot better off putting a rough and ready centre forward against them, number nine, than you would be against, you know, clever young players who are going to be like, what the hell's this all about? You know, and don't get me wrong, within a couple of years, both Henry and Trezeguet would, would absolutely handle and love that side of the game, but it was probably a little bit too early for them there. A couple more years in Italy, they'd be ready for it. Yeah, so of course they, they go to the quarters against Italy, big game, and of course, Italy, I mean, if you think about what Italy's back four looked like back then, it was uh, bound to be a game that was low scoring. Um, and it, it finishes nil-nil after extra time. So no golden goal there. 
And it was very, very cagey, wasn't it? If I remember. Very right. much so. Um, and I, I think. I mean, you I, pretty much had all the best defenders from Serie A playing in that game, didn't you? Yeah, very much so. And and you know you get in the penalty shootout. Worth saying, just as a side note, uh, Roberto Baggio exercises the ghost of uh, USA '94 and puts his penalty away. But then his almost namesake, uh, Luigi Di Biagio, um smashes one miles. It, is it miles over the bar? Does he actually hit the bar? No, he smacks it straight into the bar this time. Yeah, that's he, he, it. Off like a one-pace run-up. He just kind of smacks it straight into the bar. The only other thing I really remember about this game is that Baggio has a chance to win it in extra time, and it misses by a few inches. It's uh, nothing to it. France had bossed the game, as I recall, much the better side, but there was just this one moment where it actually opened up after 100 minutes of pretty tough-to-watch football. And uh, yeah, Baggio just couldn't do it. But he was, as I say, inches away from doing what he'd done in 1994 and winning it late. And yeah. then, as you say, the penalty exercised that. So it's, it's I remember Baggio more than France, even though France were the better side. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, considering the other quarterfinals were all thrillers. Um, so this one was, was the Dow one really, wasn't it? Because if you think about that Brazil-Denmark game was bonkers, you know, it was like 3-2. Um, the Netherlands-Argentina game had, of course, the Dennis Bergkamp moment. It's gone down as legend, is, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it's a top 10 World Cup moment, that, isn't it? And and then, you know, Croatia thumping Germany and ending an era of German football, really, with Suker, like, absolutely rampant in that game. So, so you know, it was the least memorable of the quarterfinals, I think, Italy-France. Um, so, you know, they end up against the hipster dark horses in Croatia, in the um, semi-final, terrific game this, um, and Chiram two rampaging runs from deep, brilliant finishes, you know, and it's funny because he played centre half for Palmer, but because of Blanc and um, Desai, he had to he had to play right back for France. Strange um, reflection of Ben Pavard doing exactly the same thing <laughs> in 2018, um, and scoring a similarly brilliant goal actually. But yeah, Tiram's um, performance in that game just unbelievable to send France into the into the final. Yeah, hands down, one of my favourite players, and he had an absolute blinder. But this is this is where the French were playing very, uh, you know, a very central formation. So it it, it did leave that room for for Lizarazu to bomb on, and I guess everyone was thinking that that's exactly what Lizarazu did, and it was Tiram who decided, right, you watch him, I'll pop up on the other side and just turn the game around. I mean, that that second goal was just out of this world for, a, like you say, essentially a centre-back more than a right-back to to just trot upfield and, and, and bang it in. It was, uh, yeah, fa- fantastic. A really good game of football, that one, again. Um, well, as, as was the other semi-final. I loved both those semi-finals that year. What really brought home to me, and this tells you all you need to know about Turam as a player, I think, is that he was the one player in Schuker onside in the 46th minute. They've just come back from half time, and France go behind. And it's Turam technically kind of at fault playing him onside. One minute later, he's the one that wins the the ball to create the opportunity in the first place, just on the edge of the kind of uh, the Croatian box. And then he gets it and tucks it away to equalise. So, you know, just that tells you all you need to know about the man. You know, right, OK, I, I was at fault there. Let's go see what we could do about it. And, yeah, he just... As you say, he was just on another planet that day. And, you know, again, I think it has to be said, this Croatia team was probably more of a golden generation than than the one that we've just seen in the last two tournaments have been, you know, the one that got to the World Cup final with with, with Modric. You know, you, you had Suka, Boban, Simic, Prozinecki. Oh, what a player Prozinecki is. Oh, just Simic. It was that outrageous talent in that yeah Boban it was it was that it was that era of you know the breakup of the former Yugoslavia but all those best all their best players were Croatian so they instantly ended up with a brilliant football team um you know there were a few a few good ones on the Serbian side as well but but yeah um a lot of those players actually played in the 1990 World Cup which is crazy when you think about like you know Prozinecki and people were were in that that really good Yugoslavia team at the, the 90 World Cup as well. But yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think, um, I think Prozadecki was the first person to score for two different countries at World Cup, wasn't he? 
Brilliant. Um, yeah, brilliant good, team, that. Good pub quiz knowledge, that. Yeah, might be wrong. Double check it. But, um, yeah, he, he, scored, he scored that blinder. Well, he did that roll and, and, and the cross that went in against Jamaica in the group stage, which was just out of this world. And even if he didn't mean it, it was uh, it was insane. It's Another probably going to be someone like Pushcast or De Stefano, though, isn't it? It's going to be one of those guys who changed allegiance in the 50s. Yeah. De Stefano paper three. And also... Oh, another there we go. One, <laughs> another, another, another weird one is um, Vidic. So Vidic technically has, technically has uh, caps for three different teams. He has, he has a cap for Yugoslavia. He has a cap for... He has caps for Serbia and Montenegro before Montenegro. Again, went off and did its own thing. And then caps for Serbia. Right. Which is pretty bonkers as well. Um, so, of course, we get to the final. And, of course, you know, we've looked at this from the other side of it because we did Brazil 2002 in season one. Um, and, of course, the big part of the context of that is what happens uh, on the eve of the, the the final with Ronaldo having whatever kind of episode that he had and, and being taken out the first 11 only to be put back in 20 minutes later. We discussed all of that, um, but it risks kind of minimising how good France were on that night because they, regardless of Brazil's talisman being struck down, France felt the call of destiny that night, I always felt, um, and they looked like they were going to win from the minute they kicked off. And of course, you know, you get the, the two towering headers from Zidane and then Petit and Vieira manufacturing the third with a brilliant break and I remember the commentary a goal made in Highbury and finished in Paris I think is what Clive Tilsey says <laughs> um so it was a brilliant performance from France in that final and and I, and I think you know we shouldn't take away from them the fact that they were by far the better team on that night that they, they blew them away and, and let's not forget that Blanc was suspended for the final after you know after a ridiculous bit of uh uh, play acted by um, by uh, Slaven Bilic, of all people, who, who got a little hand in the chest or maybe at the neck and went down clutching his forehead, getting Blanc sent off. So Blanc didn't play, and uh, Frank Leboeuf actually came out and and played that World Cup final uh, alongside Desai, who decided to get sent off himself in the final. So you know, France at two nil up still had to play 20 plus minutes with with 10 men that's definitely something that people always forget actually isn't it um and, and you know not like brazil had a bunch of bad players with ronaldo <laughs> not himself do you know what i mean it's like not like there's a bunch of like bunch of scrubs out there aren't they? yeah no, i mean it, 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 it was a rock star team wasn't it as we said you know that Carlos uh, at fullbacks dunga was still there running things rivaldo was at his peak, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. arguably, arguably the the most skillful player in the world alongside Zidane at this point, and um, you know supporting cast like Bebeto, Leonardo, not only talent but experience, and had done it before. You know that that was a fantastic thing, and you know no doubt, no doubt the whole situation with Ronaldo has caused some turmoil, but I don't think. I don't think anyone was going to beat France that day. You know, the way they, they, they played, they would have steamrolled whatever you put in front of them. It would have been interesting to see if uh, the, the Ronaldo that, you know, we know that he could be had turned up. But once it happened, yeah, there's there's at that point, it's inevitable. There's only one winner, I think. And, you know, it's it does go back to that thing of the kind of flying under the radar. You know, the other young lads like me, we kind of blown away by the Brazilian reputation. We've, we've seen one World Cup and Brazil won it and now they've got the best player in the world by some distance. You know, you, you kind of, it was a life lesson for a lot of us in a sense. You know, you can you can go too far with that and, you know, a good team beat good individuals and, you know, France were a great, great team. Um, that's not to say that they were individually very talented as well, but, you know, it was just important about a lot of things about football that you could learn from this, from this team and this performance really. Uh, you know, they they played the basics really well. They had a good kind of setup and defensively strong. And, you know, it is defence that wins championships. And, yeah, there's a lot, a lot you could learn, definitely. And, and you know, a, a, a great World Cup. And uh, as Maz said, like, truly, 
you know, one of the great World Cups, um, brilliant group stages. I don't think I missed a game actually in the group stages. Fantastic, fantastic knockout stage. Um, you know, lots of the, you know, the best players in the world at their peak doing best player in the world type stuff. And, and you know, you get that that sort of brilliant sort of valedictory performance by by France in the final. And of course, we we've we haven't kind of touched on this other than than in the intro. But of course, there was a political aspect to this as well in that you know you had this young multicultural French team made up of you know players from lots of different backgrounds Sudan from North African background um you know you have the uh the the sort of francophone Africa you know second third generation players in there um and you know you have players like this Razou who was Basque um you have you know Jorkaev I think had a get polish father and yeah, he was from all over the place wasn't yeah he? he had all sorts in him and, and it was very much you know celebrated as this team is bringing france together yeah know, because you're in the middle of a period where you know it's the, it, it's huge, oh. stuff is really a threat it, it really is and you know funnily enough uh like neil i also was doing french a level and my special project was uh, a French movie called La Haine, which uh, fantastic movie. Go out there and, and seek it out. Um, I think I was just reading a, an article where it uh, talked about how it was robbed as uh, robbed for the Oscar of best best foreign uh, film for that year. But um, if you go and check it out, that really gives you a good view over what you know what France, what the tension was like in France at the time. And this really felt like a moment that, that brought the country together. You know, uh, a lot of racist undertones going on, a lot of um, ill will towards the, the North Africans and, and the, the Africans, the, the less North Africans. But, yeah, you know, this it really was something that, that did bring, bring a country that all, always gives off that little bit. A little bit of racist overtones. Uh, I know we're ones to speak, but uh, you know, I guess we all have our crosses to bear. In it's Europe, France's but... equivalent, in a way, of of the New Labour win in in '97. That sort of thing where the you know the whole country just briefly feels very very hopeful. Yeah, on the same page, partying all together, you know, celebrating celebrating everyone. It, it really is. And of course, the, the other thing to say about this team is they they went on, they became even better. Um, so of course, this is focused on 1998, and quite rightly because of the iconic you know stuff we've talked about regarding you know the the social fabric of, of of France and coming out of the ashes of of failure. And and you know most of the great football stories, you know, uh, uh, and the stories that we've talked about often have been about h- how you come back from from those ashes of failure but of course the team that 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 wins Euro 2000 is a much much better team from a pure football point of view um I mean my personal view about football tournaments is that Euro 2000 from a purely footballing quality point of view is the best football that that was ever played in an international tournament just in purely in terms of how good the games were and and and, um the, the level that the teams were at, you know, you had 16 teams, no fat whatsoever. You know, it was a really, really fantastic tournament from that point. Didn't have the emotional stuff of like World Cup 90 or, or, or 98, which which kind of had a different type of emotional heft to it. But Euro 2000 from a football point of view was 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 brilliant. And that team that ended up winning, you know, with Henri entering his pomp, Trezeguet scoring bags of goals at Juve, Pires now established at, at Marseille and about to move to Arsenal. You know, they, they've kind of, Zidane is imperious. Um, you know, Petit and Vieira are kind of installed and you've still got basically that 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 back four. It's, it's an even better team and they, 
absolutely roast people that tournament. Don't I they? mean, that's it, isn't it? The the young guns are, are two years older now, and then they're, <laughs> they're not they're not messing about. You know, like you say, Henri Trezeguet, Vieira is now established and uh, and and first team, and just yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, Anelka's now in and around. It's just an embarrassment of riches when. You know, a, a, a lot of the time through this tournament was France don't have a good centre forward, which you know wasn't strictly true, but just the the way it was going, they 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 had so many come two years later, it was it was insane. Just the yeah, one truly one of the great great teams. Yeah, I think 1998. There's I, we kind of came into it as I say going on with, earlier on with that idea of you know okay it was Brazil maybe Italy and then the rest was kind of a, an underlying kind of logic to it. Um, and we come out of the tournament with a much changed kind of view of what the world of football is. And I suppose the thing you can say is that I always felt like there was only two areas after that where they weren't kind of world class like t- like top line. Or, you know that you could put them up against anybody uh center forward and between the sticks in goal and they're immediately going to correct that up front with you know Henri's about to become the one of the best strikers on the planet and as you say there's an Elka and, and so on there's so many good forwards that actually people aren't going to think of Trezeguet and Wiltord as great which is actually kind of misleading when you look back but they would have got into most other teams in the world and you know the other one then is is Bartes who, who again I never thought of as completely kind of top top world class but he's good enough that it never mattered that he wasn't you know necessarily the best goalkeeper mm. in the world he was when more level, than, this was a strange one. Than, he was a very enough. good goalkeeper but he was prone to do absolutely mental things on a pretty yeah. regular basis he went up a level in a France shirt I always thought like in those tournaments he was especially in 98 actually 98 he was fantastic but as as Matt said yeah he was he was prone to an error but I, he was one of those players he's the French Jordan Pickford isn't he you wouldn't be that bothered about him in club football but <laughs> he just need to put a foot wrong in stuff I've got to say I I, I loved Fabian Martinez's uh, run in club football as an Arsenal fan <laughs> <laughs> I mean I thought you said pub football then, which might have been more appropriate to be <laughs> United, but, but yeah. It's, and, it's, yeah. It's, on the other hand, I mean, what we got, you know, um, 98 World Cup final, Euro 2000, obviously the right off 2002, but yeah, and then he goes into the final in 2006 as well. So it's not a bad career all in all. I mean, 2000 is, is this, this team, you know, it does span their era is you know, it really is a proper 10-year era, isn't it? Because some of these players, like Zidane in particular, comes in in 96, and then he has that brilliant last hurrah in 2006, you know? And one thing I like to do from time to time is just put on that highlights video of Zidane v Brazil in that quarterfinal, of him just rolling back the years, you know? And at Madrid at the time people were saying you know that he was finished and that you know he was old and he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that and then he just went into that tournament and absolutely just put on a clinic um yeah just just outrageous watching yeah if you just isolate Zidane in that game and watch what he does just uh you know really inspirational stuff so it was it was some team and um you know international teams you know they don't always take on that you know club side identity do they but some teams do and I think you could look at the Spain team that ends up being dominant in the you know sort of late 2000s as as one example of this France team as being another because the personnel doesn't massively change I mean even in 2006 like who's new like Ribéry and that's it (laughs) so it is um it is very much um a great run from a, a great bunch of footballers any uh, any closing thoughts then on on this this uh, on this French team, other than to say that that you know they are one of the great international teams of our lives? So. Uh, I was just going to say, I think I came to it, and as I say, one of the things was that you know everyone was kind of paying attention to Brazil and so on. And I think one of the things that threw you when you were watching them, especially lining up in some of them as more adventurous formations, let's call them. Uh, Matt, you know, adventurous is completely the wrong word. I, when they, you, you line up with three midfielders, all of whom could be called holding players, there was a certain kind of eye roll. But I think it, you know, when you actually watch them play, it was an education that they could still play really beautiful football that way. 
it's not about attacking and defending it's not about you have to have people bombing forward and doing all that stuff it, it's more an attitude it's more how you play the game and uh yeah they, they played it the right way they played it well they were entertaining despite having three holding players and uh very un-english in the time when we were all pretty much playing 4-4-2 unless you happen to be one of those sides who were lined up with a 3-5-2 well, yeah, Glenn, Glenn Hoddle certainly liked his three five two, didn't he? Um, but but yeah, it was the emotion. I think is what I'll always remember about this team: the sheer emotion of that of that run. And like I said, it it you know I hesitate to sound too much um, too much like the English teacher that I am, but but there was a sense of destiny about about the team from the very beginning. And once they got on a roll, even when they suffered from some sort of adversity you felt like somebody was writing this for them. These kind of ultra dramatic things, you know, a golden goal, round of 16, a penalty shootout, quarterfinal, um, going one down, um, you know, in the semi-final, having to play the final without a key leader in Laurent Blanc, you know, at, at all these stages, you just felt that that, that it was all lining up for them. Um even to the point of the opposition's best player in the final being wiped out by some mystery thing where never likes to know what it was. It just felt like it was written in the stars for them. And the celebrations and the emotion of it, I'll never forget it. I, I truly was one of those times when, when, when football feels like more than just football. So I, I guess that feels like quite a, um, a, a good, a good note to finish on. Um, Hope that didn't sound too too dramatic. Um, so uh, next time around, uh, we're going to be discussing um, a great Manchester City team. Um, in fact, the first Manchester City team to win the Premier League after they became the noisy neighbours. So very uh, interested to discuss that Mancini team. Um, so, yeah, get watching your Aguero highlights and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>